What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open those up to John chapter 21. That's where we're going to be today is in John chapter 21 as we continue, but really for the first time, dive into this series, When I Grow Up. So if you weren't here with us last week, let me just give you a very quick recap in order to get you caught up um, to what we talked about. So the the whole purpose of this series is to talk about the future us. And what we talked about last week is so often when we think about our future and who we want to be when we grow up, we have these expectations, these expectations of what we want to be like. And the problem is oftentimes those expectations are wrong. And so what we don't realize is that we're really setting ourselves up to fail because we think we need to be a certain person or be at a certain point in our life later on that's just not going to happen. Because when you have the wrong expectations, even success feels like failure. And so what we want to do this series is we want to allow Jesus through his word to redefine success for us. To redefine success so that when we see the future us and we think about our life later on, we have the right expectations. We don't find ourselves later on thinking that we're failing when actually God is doing great things to us. So that's kind of the whole purpose, the kind of whole premise of this series. And so tonight, we're going to kind of dive into it by talking about spiritual failure. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage and see what, or see how it applies to our life now, and then we're going to take some time to see how it applies to us later on when we grow up. So anyway, so doing that, we'll be in John chapter 21. That's where we're going to be spending our time together. If you don't have your Bibles with, uh, with you, don't worry. We have the verses on the screen so you can follow along with us there. So one afternoon, when I was in seminary, I found myself lying on the ground about to pass out. So it all started uh, a few days before that when I was hanging out with a close friend of mine a guy that I knew really well, and he mentioned that he had been recently going to this workout class at our school. You see, when I was in high school and college and I was growing up, I was a very active person, very active. I played multiple sports when I was in high school. When I was in college, usually two or three days a week, I was at the gym, I was working out, I was running. And so I found a way to stay in shape for a long time. But when I moved up to Louisville and I started my master's, all of that changed, (laughs) all of that changed. Like, even though I really wanted to be in the gym more just because of school and because of work, I just didn't find myself there. So when this guy told me about this opportunity, I mean, I was getting kind of excited about it because I thought this was the perfect way for me to get back into the gym, to get back in shape. But throughout this conversation, I noticed that he mentioned to me, like, how hard this class was. Like, the first time he went to it, which this guy was a fit guy, like, how he almost didn't make it through. You know, and he's telling me this, and I'm kind of like thinking in the back of my mind, like, bro, like, how hard can this class really be? Because it's a workout class at a seminary. <laughs> and if you don't know a lot about the seminary culture, let me just kind of sum it up for you, right? So, so really just imagine a whole lot of dads who like to wear blue blazers and khaki pants, 
and who like to say brother to each other all the time. Right, like that, that, is, that is not everybody, but that's a good portion of the people that you're going to see in the segment, right? So not the fiercest athletes in the world. And so, you know, he tells me this, and I'm like, okay, but like I'm thinking to myself, like how hard can this class really be? Right, foreshadowing right now. And, and so um, the day, a few days go by, we end up um, going to the class, and so I meet the guy, we, we go to the gym, it's this old, old gym that we're meeting at, and when we get there, there's probably about half a dozen other people in this class. And kind of to describe what it was like, I want you to think about CrossFit and then the great value version of that. <laughs> like that, that's really what it was. I mean, it was just a bunch of us in this gym and we're using the objects and this gym and these things that they brought in in order to do this, this workout. And so the way that it worked is we did about four or five different exercises and then we did that for like three different rounds. So we did one round of that, and then we, afterwards we were supposed to do you know, three rounds of that. And so after the guy gets done explaining these exercises to us, the class starts. And so as we start this first round, you know, I'm feeling good, right? Like I'm doing all the reps I'm supposed to do. I'm keeping up with everybody else. I am showing all these guys with these dad bods that I'm going to hang with them. And so we, we keep going, but as the, as the round continues to go, it gets a little harder, and just a little bit harder, and just a little bit harder. And so eventually, when the first round of this exercise finally ends, I'm like gasping for breath. I mean, sweat is like pouring down from my face. I'm chugging water like it's Kool-Aid. I mean, I'm just so exhausted. And of course, I'm acting like I'm fine, right? I'm trying to put up a front, but I am like completely worn out. Like I'm done. And so I'm standing there, right? I'm trying to catch my breath, and all of a sudden, I hear the instructor say, all right, time for round two. And as I stand there, tired, sweaty, dehydrated, in that moment, I should have walked away. Right? In that moment, I should have just swallowed my pride. I should have admitted that I definitely was not physically ready for this class. And I should have just bowed out gracefully. But obviously I didn't because I'm telling you the story. <laughs> and so I walked back out on that floor, my head held high, and I made a complete fool of myself. Because when we were about halfway through this second round, I get so worn out, I just fall to the floor. Like in front of everyone, I just fall on the floor as everybody else just continues to do this exercise as if it's not the hardest thing they've ever done in their life. And I am so dizzy that I'm just laying there, and I'm just trying to keep myself from passing out. And, like, I don't know if this is normal or not, but, like, anytime I think I'm going to pass out, I'm also afraid I'm going to die, right? <laughs> like, I don't, know, I don't know if that's normal, but I do it. I mean, I, that's really, like, anytime I ever feel like I'm going to pass out, I really feel like in that moment I'm going to die. So I'm, like, laying on this gym floor. Everybody else is running around finishing this exercise, and I'm just trying not to freak out because I think this is it for me, right? Like, this is how I'm going to go. It's <laughs> so eventually the dizziness, it goes away, and I kind of come back down to reality. And once this, or this workout finally ends, I get up, and very quickly I get in my car, and I just leave. Amen. And when I was driving home, I was so humiliated. Oh, man. I, it was so humiliating to me to walk out of that gym thinking that it wasn't going to be hard and then just absolutely failing at that. 
I mean, so much shame because of, of what I did. I mean, I lied on the football like an idiot. Right? So, so embarrassed because I was the only one who couldn't finish the workout. And so much regret because I did something that I shouldn't have done. And so I was driving home from there. I just felt like such a fool because of what just happened to me back in that place. And see, as we step into our passage today, what we're going to see is that the person in our story feels the same way that I did when I was driving home. Because like me, they had a moment where they just failed epically. Right? They have this moment where they just make a fool of themselves in front of everybody. But see, unlike me, this person's failure wasn't physical. It was spiritual. Because even though all of us in this room know the story of Peter denying Jesus the night that he was arrested, we hardly ever think how Peter must have felt in that moment. In that moment when one of his close friends was being falsely accused and arrested, and when he should have been trying to help Jesus, he's telling everybody who's asking him that he doesn't know him. And he doesn't do it just once. He doesn't do it just twice. Instead, he does it three times. Even though the night before, he promised Jesus that regardless of what happens, he wasn't going to leave him. I mean, just imagine how much regret Peter must have had because he wasn't the good friend that Jesus, that he could have been to Jesus. I mean, just imagine the shame and the guilt that must have consumed him because in that moment, he sinned against his Savior. And think about how embarrassed he must have been because all the other disciples didn't do what Peter did. I mean, after that night, Peter walked away feeling like an idiot. And as we jump into our story, this is where Peter finds himself. He finds himself in the aftermath of this event. Because at this point, Jesus has already died and he's already been resurrected. In fact, Peter has actually seen Jesus a couple of times as we jump into the story. But from what we can tell, he's never had a conversation with him. So let's jump into John chapter 1, and we're, I mean John 21. We're going to start reading with verse 2, and let's just walk through and see what this story that Peter has can teach us about spiritual failure. So here's verse 2 of John 21. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. So seven people, seven people were hanging out. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So Peter's no longer in Jerusalem where this embarrassing event happened. Instead, now he's back at home in Galilee. And he's hanging out with six of his closest friends. And as they're spending time together, Peter decides, you know what, I want to go fishing. And these guys are like, sure, yeah, we'll go with you. And so they go on this boat and they spend the entire night fishing together. And see, I think what is happening right here in this moment is really important. Because I think Peter is doing something here. I think Peter in this moment is trying to forget his failure. 
Right? He's going to this familiar place. Right? As a fisherman, he's doing something that he loves. And he's spending time with some of his closest friends. And he's doing this because he wants to escape what happened just a little bit earlier. I think what Peter is doing here is what we all do in moments when we fall into sin. Is we try to forget it. All right, we go and we hang out with our friends in order to try to get our mind off of what we did the other night. Or right, we go home to this comfortable place in order to escape the feelings that we have. Or maybe we just go to a place that we love in order to forget what we've done. I and mean, we get this because we do this too. We go to these different places because we want to forget our failure. And apparently as Peter does this, it works. Because after they spend an entire night out and they catch nothing, when morning comes, they see this stranger who's hanging out on the seashore. And they can kind of see who it is, but they can't really make out who the person is. And so he yells out to them and says, hey, did you guys catch anything? And then they say, no, no, we didn't catch anything all night. And he says, okay, well, why don't, you, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat and see what happens? And so for some reason, they listen to this guy and they throw their net on the other side of the boat. And when they do, they catch so many fish that it begins to break their nets. And then one of the smart guys in the group realizes he starts connecting the dots, and he thinks, all right, this is a fish, this is a net, this is a miracle. This must be Jesus, right? This sly dog coming up in here, acting like he doesn't know us. And so Jesus, they realize it's him. But notice what Peter does when he finds this out. This is what we see when we jump to verse 7. It says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Peter does here what nobody does, right? He puts his clothes on before jumping into water. But see, that's how eager he is to see Jesus. So somehow Peter had managed to escape and forget his failure. So much so that he's even excited to see this person who he let down. But as Peter jumps in the water and he swim, swims to shore, unfortunately, his escape from his past is pretty short-lived. Because this is what we see when we start reading in verse 8. It says, The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about 100 yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. So when Peter finally gets to this shore with his clothes that are soaked because he swam in them, he sees Jesus. He's cooking breakfast for them on this charcoal fire. Now what kind of fire that Jesus is using seems very insignificant for us. But see, for Peter, this definitely wouldn't have been. Instead, for Peter, this would have stood out. Because see, a few chapters earlier, John tells us the setting of that night. That night that Peter is trying to forget when he denied Jesus. And when we read what was happening and what was going on, this is what we find out in John 18, 18. 
It says, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So as soon as Peter would have saw Jesus cooking on this fire, immediately he would have realized and been reminded of that night. He would have immediately felt the shame and the guilt and the regret that he had somehow find, had found a way to escape. Because even though he was able to get away from it for a little bit, when this charcoal fire pops up, it would have brought Peter right back to that night and he would have found himself reliving that moment that he'd been trying so hard to forget. You see, where Peter finds himself here is where we so often find ourselves in our lives. Right? As we talk about, we try to forget and we try to escape these moments of failure in our life. And even though we can manage to do it for a little while, all of a sudden something happens. All of a sudden we have these charcoal moments that bring us right back. That bring us right back to that very thing that we wish that we could forget. Because maybe we're hanging out with our friends, but when we are, we see that person from that past relationship. And it reminds us of that time that we compromise our convictions and we push the boundaries too far. Or when we're at home and we're talking to our parents, they ask us how our week went and what we did. And that just reminds us of what we did and that choice that we made that night when we were alone by ourselves. Or even when we're at that place that we love, we see those old friend of ours. And we remember how much we used to want to be accepted by them so badly that we did some things that now we desperately wish we could take back. And we all have these moments in our life, these charcoal moments that bring us right back. And even though we manage to distract ourselves, even though we manage to get away from our failure in that moment, the shame and the regret and the embarrassment and the guilt comes right back. And we have to come face to face with what we've done. And we have to become face to face with where we're not. Because one thing that all failure has in common is that it shows us where we're not. Because whether we're lying on the ground on a gym floor in the middle of a workout or whether we're lying in our bed fighting back tears because we can't believe we did that again, in both those moments, failure shows us where we're not. In that moment, shame looks at us and says, look, I know you want to be there, but in reality, you're just right here. Failure shows us where we're not. And when we look and see at our spiritual life where we're not, if we're honest, we hate what we see. We hate that after all these years, we're still battling with that sin. We hate that our past is so embarrassing that we can't talk about it. And we hate how many times we've let Jesus down because we did what we wanted to do. When we come face to face with where we're not, we 
We hate what we see. And we don't like who we are. And because we don't like who we are, we just assume God doesn't like who we are either. We just assume that God is putting up with us because he has to, not because he wants to. Because in reality, we know that he's just as disgusted and disappointed in us as we are in ourselves. And so when these charcoal moments come, we realize where we're not, and we realize who we are, and we hate what we see. And so as Peter is sitting around this breakfast with these six other guys plus Jesus, this is where he is. And I'm sure he is thinking about where he's not and who he is. And as he's sitting there reliving that night that was so embarrassing, Jesus decides to have a conversation with him. That's what he says. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Try as Peter is sitting there around all of these different guys who didn't deny Jesus, Jesus chooses to ask him a question that says, Peter, do you love me more than these other guys? <laughs> Just think about how Peter must have felt. And so with a pounding heart, and I'm sure with a, with a dry mouth, Peter responds to Jesus and says, yeah, Jesus, you know that I love you. But as if to say he doesn't believe Peter, Jesus asked them the question again. Because we see in verse 16, and he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed or tend my sheep. And then, as if to say he still doesn't believe him, Jesus asked the question again. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I mean, this third time that Jesus asked this question breaks Peter. He starts to grieve because he can't believe, even after saying it three times or two times before this, that Jesus still doesn't believe him. But if, Peter's on, if Peter is honest with himself, how can he really blame Jesus? Because everything that Peter is saying in this moment is, was contradicted by what he did that night. And so as Peter sits here in this moment, feeling like a failure, ashamed of who he is and where he's not, what Peter doesn't realize is what Jesus is actually doing in this conversation. Because see, Peter is so focused on the question that Jesus is asking him that he's not noticing the answer that Jesus is giving back. An answer that shows that Jesus isn't trying to shame Peter. Instead, Jesus is trying to give him grace. 
Because Jesus is saying to Peter that he still wants him. And the reason that Jesus asked this question to Peter three times if he loved him was because Jesus that night denied Jesus three times. And Jesus is allowing Peter's love for him to undo Peter's denial of him. And so by asking these questions and giving his answer, Jesus is saying to Peter, look, I still want to use you. I still love you. And that I haven't given up on you. Jesus is showing Peter that he doesn't want this failure to define who Peter is. And I love how strategic Jesus is here. I love how he sets up this scene and he sets up this moment with this charcoal fire in order to have this interaction with Peter. And I think the reason that Jesus can do that is because Peter's failure didn't surprise him. In fact, the night before, Jesus specifically tells Peter that he's going to deny him. He specifically tells Peter that the next day when Jesus is arrested, that Peter is going to fail. And because Jesus knew that, he was ready to give Peter grace when it happened. This failure didn't surprise Jesus. And see, so often we feel like that our failure surprises Jesus. As if he didn't know that it was coming. As if, if he knew that we were going to fail the way that we have before he chose to save us, then he wouldn't have done it. But what we cannot forget and what we cannot miss is how the cross tells us something completely different. Because the cross tells us the reason that Jesus came is because he knew you were going to fail. He knew that you were going to mess up. And so Jesus chooses to die so that he could take his perfection and he could replace it with our failure. He chose to die so that he could show us his grace. Because what makes the cross so amazing and what makes the cross so beautiful is that Jesus knew all the times that you were going to fail and how big it was going to be and everything that was going to be entailed with it, and he still chose you anyways. Regardless of what you've done, Jesus still wants you, Jesus still loves you, and Jesus still likes you even if you don't like yourself. Jesus came and died on the cross so that your failure wouldn't define you, but that his grace would. And so when we grow up, we have to remember that our failure doesn't define us, but Jesus does. Because so often we have the wrong expectation. We have this wrong idea that when we get older, right, that the future us won't struggle with sin the way we do now. That somehow the future us won't deal with the failure every day that we experience now. But if that's your definition of success when it comes to the future you, you're going to constantly feel shame and guilt because of where you're not. 
Each day you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and you're not going to like what you see. And you'll constantly think that God doesn't want anything to do with you because you can't get things right. Because the reality is, failure doesn't go away when you grow up. But the good news for us is that neither does God's grace. Neither does this amazing grace that always comes to us when we need it the most. And so the right expectation of the future isn't that somehow we're going to get to this point where failure isn't in our life anymore. That somehow we're going to get to this point where we don't still struggle with that sin. Instead, the right definition of success when it comes to the future you is a lot different than that. And as Jesus continues to have this conversation with Peter, he tells us something that we have to remember when it comes to the future us and our failure. Because when we jump down to the end, after Jesus kind of tells Peter a little bit about his future, he says, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That's what Jesus says to Peter. Now, in this moment, Jesus could have said a lot of things to Peter. He could have told Peter, you know what, now that me and you are good, I'm just gonna, we're just, we're just going to separate ways because clearly we're not on the same page. Or he could have told Peter that, you know, you messed up, but don't do it again or we're done. But see, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he says to Peter, follow me. And what's amazing is that this is the exact same thing that Jesus says to Peter three years ago. The first time he asked Jesus, or asked Peter to be his disciple. So what Jesus is saying to Peter in this moment is I want you to do the same thing now after your spiritual failure that you did before. I want you to follow me. And see, the right expectation when it comes to the future us isn't that somehow we're going to get to this point where we don't struggle with sin or somehow we're not failing every day. Instead, the right expectation is realizing that failure is a part of the journey. Because if following Jesus is a process, then we can expect to fail in that process. We can expect to fail a part of this journey as we strive to look more like Jesus. And so the right expectation and the right definition of success isn't that one day we won't do this. Instead, the right definition of success when it comes to the future you, when it comes to spiritual failure, is realizing that failing is part of following. That failing is something that we're going to experience all throughout our Christian life. We will always struggle with sin. We'll always have charcoal moments. We'll always have those moments in our life that we realize where we're not. So the question isn't whether or not we're going to have those. The question is how we're going to respond to it. Are we going to respond to it by hating ourselves or are we going to respond to it by remembering God's grace? A grace that says, I love you and I forgive you. And a grace that says, I want you to follow me. 
So here's my challenge for you as we kind of wrap up tonight. Here's my challenge for all of us. If failing is part of following, then what we always need to do is we need to focus on following, not on arriving. Because so often we focus on arriving. We think the future us will get to this point again that sin isn't something that we wrestle with the way that we do now. But see, that's focusing on arriving at a place. It's not focusing on following. And so because of that, if we do that, we'll constantly set ourselves up to fail. But what we need to do is we just need to focus on following Jesus. And throughout the moments when we fail and we mess up, we need to show ourselves grace. Because that's what Jesus does. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to look for the cross. And we need to show ourselves grace. Because if I had to guess, this is where a lot of you are tonight. I mean, you are striving so hard to be like Jesus. I mean, you are pursuing him with so much of your life, and you're finding yourself failing. You're finding yourself going back to that sin. You're finding yourself messing up, and you were beating yourself up so hard because of that. Because you think the standard is perfection and that you're falling way short. And what you have to remember is that failing is part of following. And you need to show yourself grace. Because what you have to remember is that God's grace is always bigger than we think it is. Because God is always bigger than we think he is. God still loves you, God still likes you, and God hasn't given up on you. So show yourself grace and remember that failing is part of following. Let's pray. Father God, my prayer is that we would understand the right definition of success when it comes to the future us and our spiritual walk with you. That we wouldn't live with some kind of illusion that failure won't be a part of our life here on this earth, but instead we would know that as a part of our journey, we're going to find ourselves slipping and falling. And so my hope, God, and my prayer, God, is that we would find comfort in that tonight. Comfort in the fact that when we do fall, that's just a greater opportunity for us to see your grace. That, Father, we would pursue you and that we would love you and that we would always strive to be like you. But when those moments that sin entangles us, that we'll know that doesn't define who we are, but instead you do. And that we rest in the fact that we are saved and forgiven and redeemed by God who has shown us so much grace that we don't deserve. So as we sing to you, as we worship you, may we remember that tonight. And thank you so much that you are a God who is so much bigger than we can ever dream and ever imagine. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.